3: you're listening to theater and college hoops i'm Subi. alongside me is taylor damel and the shark we're brought to you by dash radios nothing but net channel and the barn burner podcast network go subscribe on whichever device that you use your random college hooper of the week comes out of the big east actually shark last week it was joe chapani and i said comes out of the big east incorrect acc that Joe Trapani from the from the ACC Boston College, but this week does come out of the Big East. UConn's Jamal Coombs McDaniel, small forward from UConn. I'm not sure if he was on that national title team, but I do love a good hyphenated name. Uh, you can just it's just ripe for comedy. I don't know what I can use with Coombs McDaniel, but uh, he is your random college Hooper of the week from UConn. Check out the website at TheBarnBurner.com. That's V-BarnBurner.com. And make sure to follow us on Twitter at CBB Theater. You should also follow me at Subi232 to find out where the feat is. And make sure to follow Taylor at Taylor Damel And the shark at the underscore shark underscore BB. Let's open the curtains.
4: from the corner and it's over Gonzaga, the flipper still fit.
3: <laughs> gentlemen welcome back taylor you're looking snug as a bug right now i got to tell you very lumberjacky if if i will i mean you got plaid going you got a full beard it's a little cold there in arizona
5: yeah, we it snowed in Scottsdale yesterday. So, uh I actually had to tr- trim the beard down from the full playoff beard, which we don't want to get into, you know, necessarily because I don't think anyone wants to hear me cry on air about the Packers this season. But uh we had, we had to take the beard down a little. But yeah, a little snow out here in the desert. Uh we get it probably one dip whole day per year if that and uh Sue, you you remember these days. It is kind of cool to get it one day per year to see like the cactus and shit like that covered in snow. But yeah, I'm all bundled right now.
3: It would appear so shark. Welcome back. How are you? I mean, we've heard the shark bellyache about the football team. Taylor, I
1: seven minutes on Heineken, man. You want to take, you want to take a few? I, yeah, a lot I gotta,
3: <laughs> yeah. If you want to take, if you want to take some time, no. I, mean, I was, I was thinking about it. I was like, we've opened the past five out of like eight shows with the football team. And now here we have a devastating loss for the pack.
5: Okay, so here's here will be my college basketball uh, analogy for the Packers to kind of wrap it in uh, to the show here. Subi kind of knows that I make this analogy all the time, but the Green Bay Packers and Arizona basketball are like the same thing, and it's just it's like heinous to my sports mind to root for these two teams that always have. They are just the epitome of like elite eight, like ceiling without getting over the top every year. If you combine the, the last five elite eights and the last six, like NFC championship, no six elite eights and five NFC championship games, the Packers and the, uh, uh, Wildcats have played in, they've only won one of those. And so this is like a kind of like, you know, every for the Packers, it's been every other year that they've lost in the NFC championship game, pretty much this decade. Uh, last couple of years for Arizona basketball have been a little interesting, but you know, for the previous 10, 12, 15 years before that, it was essentially every third year that Arizona basketball was losing in the elite eight. So it's uh, it always is a team. It's a heavily talked about team. It's a team that has, you know, both of the uh, Wildcats and the Packers have like the second or third most regular season wins in the NFL and in college basketball across the last 20 years, always have elite talent, always have that, you know, star power. Uh, Aaron Rodgers is DeAndre Ayton, or he's Aaron Gordon, or whatever. Brett Favre is fucking whoever we want it to be, whatever. That I think it's a pretty, uh, a pretty good analogy, though. For or you know, they're kind of mirror images of each other, I guess.
3: Which one was more painful?
5: The uh,
3: overtime. Yeah. The uh, overtime. I, I say, hold on, hold already, on, I, I, already
5: I actually already had a top five thought of while I was in the shower. Yeah, earlier go ahead. Today. Uh, Get so, it off your chest. I was trying to decide the worst Packers loss was either this one or uh, with friend of the show, Justin Hasgard, uh, and you in the 2014 NFC Championship game, the uh, Brandon Bostic fumbled onside kick. Um, or then there's the two Wisconsin losses. Those are easily the top four right there. Uh, this one probably ranks equal with the first Wisconsin loss because there's an argument to be made that Arizona was the best basketball team in the country that year, uh, 22 and O before Brandon Ashley breaks his leg. Packers looked like an absolute wagon with the best O-line in football till David Bakhtiari, uh, tears his ACL, uh, kind of similar timing in the season. Both you could make an argument were the best teams in their per- respective sports that season. So yesterday and, um, and that first Wisconsin loss with Nick Johnson missing at the buzzer in overtime are probably – they're pretty pretty equal, I would say. Yeah,
3: so, I mean, you, you jumped the gun, though. I was going to cross-pollinate and ask you which one was worse, the Seahawks loss or the Nick Johnson overtime loss. Which uh, one's worse?
5: I, th- I actually think I, – I feel worse about this loss than I did the Seahawks loss, actually. Uh, so the Seahawks
3: r- loss ranks three, then.
5: I think so. I, th- You know, there, there's a little bit addition to that Seahawks loss because the Super Bowl was in Phoenix that year. Um, so that was, you know, a, a unique opportunity. I don't want to say once in a lifetime, but it's a once in a decade t- type of opportunity. The thing that stings most about this loss in particular was that uh, uh, my girlfriend Danielle and I had planned on potentially going to Green Bay to watch the Super Bowl with the people. Had our hotel rooms booked and everything, so we had. I think that the the Seahawks loss and this loss was kind of similar because we had plans after the NFC Championship game, and neither of them worked out. So, uh, yeah, it's a really frustrating thing to only have, especially talking to someone like you, Sub, who has uh, a plethora of uh success well, I mean, in the look, teams that you root for so at
3: the at the end of the day Taylor, i'm glad you're able to get this off your chest that's all that matters this is a safe space we're here to <laughs> vent uh i'm going to pivot a little bit though the shark keeping us oh, on a tight
1: tight please ship do. right please now. Do it. I've, 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 it's not that safe of a space i mean you gotta <laughs> eventually you're gonna have to learn to lose over there but I mean, well, you've had a quarterback that- for two decades. Once you come losing the trenches with the rest of the NFL, boo-hoo, we lost an NFC Championship game.
5: I, you know, I was gonna, I was refraining from saying at least we make the playoffs every year, but now yeah. that you brought it up, yeah, at least we make the playoffs every year. You know, no, so. I,
1: I, I follow a few P- Packer people on Twitter. It was like the world was collapsing with your, another NFC Championship loss. You got in the NFC Championship. That's great. <laughs> All right, you should be thankful that you can root for something for as long as it is. Sports, really, when you really back up and look at sports. The whole idea is to be able to root for something for as long of a period of time as possible, right? It's the hope. That's why we keep coming back. You got the hope. You know, it's not about the, if I cared about the, the euphoria distilled down to a nanosecond, I would watch MMA, but I don't care about that. I'm not a fighting guy. I care about having prolonged hope. So if you have that, if you're, if you have the hype going into a weekend, that's great. Unfortunately you lost. Yeah. So, let me,
3: philosophizer.
5: so well, no, you. let me, let me say this. Cause this is a great debate, right? And I don't want to get too deep into this, but it does kind of apply to basketball as well. It's, it's the constant debate of would you rather peak and, and tank like Yukon or the New York giants, or would you rather be sustained there every year? Right. Cause the hope is prolonged. I, I'm saying I still would rather peek out, but there's there's a little bit of me that that was rooting almost harder just to make it to the Super Bowl and probably would have been less stressed about the Super Bowl itself just because you get those extra two weeks of like hope and coverage and fun and everything that comes along with that. Now obviously there's the bragging rights afterwards and that's can't really put a price on that but there is a little bit to that where you say yeah like two more weeks of just discussion of constant in your face, your team is there and uh, and, and hope really
1: prevailing over everything else. Yeah. Um, It's a hard comparison because you're doing kind of extended period times versus lightning in a bottle type times, but that's a good point that you're bringing up. I think generally I would prefer the lightning in a bottle because you're always going to have that, but – Your other gears are just going to be miserable. That
3: sucks. No, but the whole point is to win. I'd love to take what UConn has. And I think UConn actually might not be the best example because they have like four of those things. Uh, you know, here's, here's what the, the, the peak is, this is what everyone wants to be. Be Villanova sustained. And they hit lightning in a bottle, right? That's what, that's what you want to be. Well, or be
5: the be the Patriots. Yeah. You know, and that's really, yeah. yeah, And it's to Tom's credit, obviously, and to Bill's credit and all that. But, um, it's amazingly hard to get to the Super Bowl, right? Like, very few players have actually, like, been to multiple Super Bowls, and, and especially and won them. Tom, having Tom Brady as, a, as our generation right now has completely flipped the whole fucking script that, like, this isn't normal to be in the Super Bowl ten times, you know? Like, and I know Aaron Rodgers and the Packers really have sh- should have been to more. I, I completely understand that we have kind of wasted a lot of that. But it has really flipped the script on that. Now, if you lose in the NFC Championship game, the narrative is like, well, this guy fucking sucks. You know, and it's like, well, there are, you don't even, people don't even really get there that often. So it's a it's, it's quite a frustrating thing. It's, it's kind of a similar discussion that we have about Sean Miller a lot. You know, it's like, God, this guy has only made three elite eights. What a loser, you know? And it's like, well, it's even pretty hard to get there. So it's kind of, it's kind of tough. And I don't think there's a... That's Sean silly Miller or, is the
3: loser. Get to a well, final four.
5: Well, there's a, but, a but, but what I'm saying is this is not really a wrong answer is to, you know, it, it, to it. It's, uh, no, there almost, is. Oh,
1: Jim <laughs> Christian in Boston College basketball. That's the wrong answer. He's okay. a fucking
3: right. loser. Who's okay. okay. the yeah. losers, right. actually? I mean, if, if we if we get negative here, for I don't minute. want to go
1: on that list. I want to go on a different list that you brought up in your intro there, Father, if I, if I can say briefly here. You mentioned the hyphenated deem. Can we make a starting lineup out of hyphenated names? I feel like that's a corner of the internet in the college basketball space, space that has not been uh, colonized just yet.
3: We can do Sha- that. Shake Gilgis Alexander. we got Jer- Jer- Dor- Dorian.
1: Uh, Chris Douglas Roberts. Dorian <laughs> Smith. I yeah. mean, we got a good team. Hy- yeah. The hyphenated names.
3: I think we should save that for summer when there's absolutely nothing to talk about instead of doing – maybe we could do a top 50 titch hyphenated names. Well, Lorenzo I Montereylle.
1: Mean, yeah, we can start. We can start crowdsourcing the uh, some names, and we can put them into our top fifty over the summer. Or in case we hit another pandemic,
5: well, and then well, then we gotta just be prepared for uh, any of the CBS guys to steal our ideas, like they did all summer long, and, yeah. uh, and come up with their names list too. So, so we are
1: we're i we're idea men. That's what we yeah, do. That's what it is.
3: All right, if You want to talk about names. Here's a tough one to pronounce: It's Mike Schefsky and spell. I should say. Let's talk about Duke. That's how you segue, gentlemen. Uh, Coach K with one of the more talked about sound bites of the season. It occurred last week. Uh, after they lost their third straight, a student reporter had asked him about how he's preparing for the next game.
5: Coach, I'm just curious as to what, what the next step forward here is for the team as you guys move into another week of
0: basketball. Yeah, why don't we just evaluate this game? You know, I'm not into what our next step forward is right now. We just finished the hard fought game. I don't know if like when you, what, what, what's your major? What's your major at Duke? What's your hardest class? Econ. Okay. So say you just had the toughest econ test in the world. And when you walked out, somebody asked you, what's your next step? Uh, you see what I mean? Does that, you have some empathy and, and, you know, just give us time to evaluate this game and then we'll, we'll figure out just like we always try to do.
3: And it just rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. Shark, I'm going to get to you first. Did you have any reaction, uh, pro or con, to Shashevsky's response to the student reporter?
1: Definitely a frustrated response. Uh, he got rolled on the internet for it. It was more so Coach K asked him to say, hey, let's say you had a tough econ test. And as soon as you took your tough test, you're walking out from your test. And then I come up to you and I stick a microphone in your face and you say, what's next? That's what Coach K was trying to say after a tough loss. And it makes sense. But here's the difference, Coach K. You're making $6 million a year. And this kid's just trying to figure out what supply versus demand is. You know, there's a big difference between those, uh those stories that you brought up. I don't generally have an issue with the kid being uh, yeah, welcome to welcome to the industry. You're going to get snide remarks from uh Surly coaches every once in a while. You got to get used to that. I don't think Coach Kate bullied him or anything like that. It was just kind of an unprofessional remark. Hey, I used to be a reporter back in the day. Me and Hack Goodman were in the same media room and I was a student reporter. That's where he got his nickname. Hack Goodman was because he was a hack. He didn't. He thought he was better than me wearing his jeans and his blazer and all that. I'm not going to dox myself and say what era I was there, but I was back there in that media room and Hack Goodman, you know, I, I Sometimes you ask dumb questions and, you know, you're a kid and it, it, it's a sign of maturity for someone to let you get away with it. Um, Coach K in this situation, he's old, he's grumpy, he's still skin. He probably wanted to go home and he reacted that way. Let's move on. You see, yeah. but I'm
5: going I'm to disagree with you, though. It wasn't a dumb question. Like, it's a completely legitimate question.
1: Yeah, actually, Pat Goodman. If if if
3: some of the other established college basketball reporters, Andy Katz, had asked that, you're like, oh yeah, this is pretty par for
5: the course. Well, so yeah, the, yeah. that's actually was my point going to be. I think that he did bully uh, the kid in a way because the, I don't understand how half of like college basketball media, especially, has jobs at all because they want they ask the dumbest fucking questions over and over again. But because like even the highest level, well, of hold on, let me jump. Have
1: you ever seen Have you ever seen Ninety Feet with Jay Billis? I'm going to let you take <laughs> retract that comment right there. Those are some hard-hitting questions I hear those. From <laughs> it's from the same one from Yeah, nice no, yeah, Sorry, boilerplate. Yeah, but but so that but that's a good point. So what I'm trying
5: to say is, if Jay Billis asked that question, Coach K is like, "Yeah, Jay. So what we're going to do is this this." K knew that this was a young student reporter like, or he wouldn't have gone after him like that. And I think the kid handled it really well. I mean, he, his tweet about it was kind of hilarious. That was well, his first famous
1: one. now. Well, let's be yeah, let's call it yeah, right. kids but on I, the net.
5: But I do think it was a dick move in a, in a couple line of dick moves that coach K has pulled this year. And like, I get that they're having a frustrating season and all this shit, but like you've been a coach for 40 something years. He's actually making $9 million a year. Okay you you should be able to know how to handle questions after a loss like one time or you, know, you lost 3 games in a row every college basketball coach has to go through that okay so that does you can't just like pick and pick on the easy target cuz if the whole point is you're molding young men right which is what he talks about ad nauseum for the last 40 years is we're molding young men to be good members of society. Then you can't pick out someone the same age as the young men you're trying to mold and tell them, well, you're a fucking idiot, essentially, in not so, you know, harsh terms. But I I was, I, it was kind of hypocritical, I think, in a way where it's like, well, yeah, we mold the guys we want to mold, but hell fuck this guy who wants to cover what I do. And the reason, you know, part of the reason why I make $9 million a year.
1: So, so if you're a true professional you should be able to transition into a different topic off of what he just said right there I'm testing you here I'm putting you on the spot I'm testing it see where I'm going molding young men press conferences can coach k mold young men guys in press conferences what was another press conference that happened last week coach k coached this guy in the 90s 90s got yeah, I'm not a, done, I'm
3: not done with the segment yet
1: maybe
3: I, you, maybe I'll edit this splice Taylor's after after what i offer here but uh yeah a couple thoughts there on k number one we hear boilerplate responses templated responses lame vanilla responses from coaches all the time why couldn't he just do it here he decided to sort of zig when everyone just zags during this and he's like you know what i'm gonna actually pull out this e-contest example and make an analogy just give the bullshit. Well. You know, we we got beat. We got to get better next game. We'll focus on that moving forward. That probably he would have him. sufficed. Right. Well, right, right, right. It. So, I mean, it, it gets to our point also, Shark, Then we've discussed this past couple of weeks. I mean, I think Kay and maybe even Calipari, some of these other coaches, Izzo, they're just like, I'm over it. I don't give a shit anymore. I've had to deal with COVID. I've had to deal with all this shit for the past X amount of years. I feel like the, I feel like we're actually visibly seeing a tipping point physically with Calipari, who looks like a bum. I stated that last week, but also with with Shashevsky as well. So that's that's the first thing that came to mind was like, I mean, you've given the boilerplate responses for about thirty years or so. Just keep doing it. Uh, number two, this is something that I absolutely hate and you guys brought it up the false equivalencies right when someone says well you know let me ask you if i talk to you about the e-contest versus me making nine million dollars it's the same exact thing that people do when they're like oh man if this you know if kevin durant or if Kyrie irving if james harden james harden right he's he's belly aching he wants to trade. if he was in the real world this wouldn't fly dude it's not the fucking real world what he does demands so much more money than what you do. He brings that much more value uh, financially. So he can do whatever the fuck he wants. The The comparison you're trying to make is so stupid. And that's exactly what I felt with coach K coach K was like those fans that are like, well, if this was the real world. It's not dude. It's not. Uh, so shark, I'll let you jump in there as well.
1: Speaking of molding young men, Coach K once had a young man named Bobby Hurley that he molded into doing a similar press conference. I, I don't know. I have nothing else to add. You guys make good points. Um, there's a free transition for you. I don't want to transition
3: just yet either. Uh, if you were the, if you were the are reporter. Are you writing a thesis on this press conference here? I can oh. tell you're just itching. You're itching to get to Yellowstone. Well, Why, don't right, what what Why don't you have a little patience? Why don't
1: you trust me to I, navigate I'm not the itching. shit? I'm not itching. I'm just telling you, we've made the points on the topic. You know what I mean? Like we we all kind of agree here. Hold Let on. Me ask
5: I, you. I, I I'll hop in and say something that I don't think he gets like a
1: corporate email
5: chain. Here. Yeah, I second <laughs> that one. Hey, listen, per my last email, what I was trying to know. So I don't think Coach K gets points for calling and apologizing this to the student either. I don't. I don't think he gets. Yeah, I mean, points.
1: obviously, yeah, but- I, I don't think so either. I, I mean, he. He oh, it was
5: a, kind of a big it was kind of a big discussion that Twitter had the next or two days later about it. Like, oh well, good on him for calling. Well, it's
1: like I didn't know. I didn't engage in those tweets. He's an old guy. This is what old people do. Old people get grumpy about the small minutia in the world. They didn't get billed the right way. Uh they're they're paying exact change. That's what they do. And we're starting to see this guy just be incredibly old where he has absurd reactions to the world's minutia.
3: Real quick, how do you respond if you're put on the spot by Kay like that?
1: If he says to you, Well,
3: Shark. Junior Shark, Guppy, let me ask you, what's your hardest test? What, what, what would you do if I said after your econ test, how are you going to pr- prep for the next exam? What would you say?
1: Well, I'd say uh, as a part of my contract where you're paying me $9 million to make myself available to the media afterwards, I'd be happy to answer whatever whatever questions you have. So I don't feel great about how it went. I think we got to get back into the gym and practice and we'll uh, we'll be better the next time out. Thank you and be good.
3: Now that is how you handle the press. That is how you respond. This is how you do not respond, Bobby Hurley. That also is a segue, by the way, Shark. I mean, hey,
1: look, I was on you a little bit right there, but I love the recovery. You know, I was beating you. I was beating you. I mean, we're doing the John Henderson. In. Oh, shit, Joe, that ain't good enough.
4: Come on, Joe. Ah, thank you, baby. Thank you. You're making blood
1: come from my damn mouth. That's am talking about, baby thing right now We're before the <laughs> game i'm smacking you smacking you in the face getting you ready for the matchup but you you, you recovered well wait done. hold on hold on
5: i i haven't used that seen that video in like a year and i literally sent that to Subi before the packers game that video uh, about exactly. how I-, I also
1: sent it to subie completely unrelated to the packers game but recently as well
5: wow that's Mm. why we that's why we have a podcast together
1: our period cycles are synced up but instead (laughs) it's john henderson videos
5: (laughs) let me let me reveal
3: a little bit more when the shark approached me about the john henderson video he just said john henderson video i went to our text message taylor copied and pasted it into the sharks so yes we're all intertwined here uh but bobby hurley bitching and moaning he loses to Arizona twice this past week gets swept by Arizona they're dead last in the Pac-12 after having such huge expectations prior to the season you guys get at me about the Kentucky pick about some of my other picks uh I'd gladly wear my ASU pick because if you forget I took them to win the Pac-12 terrible terrible pick Taylor you put UCLA that's looking to be a great pick but ASU that's the, the, the biggest pick that I got wrong because they fucking suck. I did say Remy Martin had no business being on uh, the All-American team, and he doesn't. He's been thoroughly outplayed by James Akinjo, Tiger Campbell, McKinley Wright, all the other better point guards in the Pac-12. But this is really about Bobby Hurley and his petulance. It's about Bobby Hurley and his coaching ineptitude. Bobby Hurley, after losing a heartbreaker to Arizona at home at the buzzer, gets to the podium. And all he talks about for two and a half minutes is the last call of the game, the officiating, bitching and moaning.
0: Um, needless to say, it's been a very disappointing year in terms of, of these type of games. It's been a very tough year, um, you know, not getting the result that we were hoping for. I thought we, uh, we deserved to win the basketball game tonight. I thought, that, uh, I thought that Remy Martin, after watching it live and then watching it again on film after, clearly – was fouled by a player in the restricted area that that player did not leave his feet. He was contacted, his arms did not go straight up and, and, and the guy should have been whistled a foul and put on the free throw line, okay? So you're talking about a guy that is as decorated a player in this conference as it's seen that goes to the hoop at, at a critical moment in the game and, and, and they swallow their whistles. And, uh, and that kid goes, gets knocked on his ass and, and obviously, uh, you know, they went down and scored and, and the rest is history tonight. So, um, and there were other things too with, with, the, with the minimal to no contact offensive foul call when we're up five. So there were, there were a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of reasons. And, and I, could sit, I could sit here and talk about our turnovers in the first half and, you know, some other things that I wasn't pleased with about our performance, but I thought we played a winning game and that Remy Martin deserved to go to the free throw line because he was fouled in the restricted area and the player did not have his arms go straight up. One of his arms contacted Remy Martin as he was shooting the ball and it was not straight up. So um, again, I don't know what else we really need to discuss tonight. Um, Pleased with Jalen Graham, how he's had very limited time on the court, limited practice and uh, to to step up and play the game he played after being out for several weeks, I thought, uh, Josh Christopher did, you know, really some fantastic things on offense and big shots and, you know, beautiful drive to the basket in the second half. So happy about those things. And uh, but that's really all I got. So we could dive into the whole this whole game and talk about it. But I'm just going to I might just keep talking about that last possession.
3: First of all, it's it's a 50-50 foul. I don't know if that was a very clear foul at all at the end of the game to decide a game. So the ref's not going to give you that, man, nine times out of 10. But he's just pissing and moaning the entire time. And he straight up tells the interviewers, he tells them, look, you can ask about the game. I'm pretty much just going to go back to this foul, like a fucking 15-year-old. I mean, that's almost something that we would say in our text messages right after a game. Uh, Bobby Hurley tricked a lot of people. He's not a good coach. People just think because he has that Duke pedigree, because he is an intense guy, because he comes from college basketball family royalty, basketball family royalty, that he's a good coach. He's a really bad coach. As a matter of fact, he was stacked this year and they are dead last in the Pac-12. It bears repeating. But again, this comes down to coaches sort of just being immature and Coach K, you can make the, the case that he's old, he's been through the ringer, he's had these th- types of questions and these, these press conferences before. Bobby Hurley, in comparison, absolutely is not. Shark, did you have any thoughts on the Hurley uh, bitching and moaning about the refs? And also, it should be noted, he took to Twitter and just posted a picture of the final play that wasn't called a foul.
1: Didn't watch one second of this game. I'm an East Coast guy. Neither of these teams are going to be in the tournament. Um, so I didn't have really a rooting interest whatsoever. I did see the video afterwards. I did think that was a little bit petty, um, John petty, so to speak, but it was, uh, I, I I'm one of those guys that used to think he was always a great coach. And I think this is kind of revealing. I'll take your word for it, that his team was super talented going into the season. I still think he would do well with one of the traditional Northeast schools, maybe a Boston college. If he's interested, he could come back and, uh, recruit well and coach, um, East Coast, I uh, I, don't I don't know. East Coast, do better on the East Coast. Get out of, get out of there. I got All nothing right. else.
5: All right, I'll elaborate on it then. So I knew that Hurley sucked as a coach the first game he played Arizona and that it was never going to be successful when he intentionally got teed up twice at Wells Fargo Arena at the time. And they lost by like 10. And everybody was fired up about ASU basketball because this Hurley guy was going to come in and change the – changed the whole atmosphere of the program his technicals he got in that game I'm sure nobody else listening remembers this but um, those technicals he got that first game against Arizona like five years ago essentially lost his team the game and everyone in local Phoenix media was all fired up he gave Arizona four free throws in a two possession game with like two three minutes left Lo- they lost the game and everybody lost their mind around the Phoenix area about how Hurley was changing that the culture of ASU basketball. And for me, even I understand that I'm biased, but my thought was changing it into what a bunch of crying and blustering and bloviating about fucking nothing where we're just going to lose a bunch of games and somehow be proud of that. And that has persisted here in the Phoenix special area for the last four years or so this year, all I had to listen to on local sports radio was about how ASU had the best team in ASU basketball history. They have Christopher, who is the highest ranked recruit in the history of ASU basketball. How they're going to win the Pac-12, how Bobby Hurley's come full circle, and now he's the best coach in the Pac-12, and all this bullshit. And the whole time I'm thinking here, like, what do they even see about this team that's good? I mean, maybe good, but not like top 20. I mean, people were picking them as a Final Four dark horse. And Remy Martin was a preseason All-American. And this team doesn't just... They're not just bad. Like, they fucking suck. The first half of the basketball game they played against Arizona the other night was one of the worst halves of basketball I've seen this year. It was trash. And so, finally, people in this area and around the country, which obviously ASU is not a basketball uh, you know name by any means, but uh, fi- I think people around the country, but especially here locally, are uh, finally have figured out that Bobby Hurley ain't shit.
3: Well... Take a step back. Bobby Hurley, I think it's all about expectations, right? He's built a program that was not a contender, but a fringe tournament team. He really only has one tournament win under his belt. That's not good enough, even by ASU standards. And that win came in a play-in game. So, it's, I mean, it's it's technically considered a tournament win uh, against Chris Mullins' St. John's team. I also, look, I Remy Martin's not an All-American, but I'm not going to blame him for that. I'm not trying to slander Remy Martin. It's almost like a, a, a player getting an undeserved contract. You think Jay Cutler or like Chandler Parsons? Why would I blame those guys for accepting the plaudits and the contract that they're bestowed? Uh, I'm not going to blame Remy Martin for that. I will blame the idiots that voted him. Uh a a preseason all-american it's just been a complete dumpster fire and so i'm not sure what else uh bobby hurley's gonna do because he's not gonna get fired no one's gonna get no one's gonna fire him this is good enough for them but this was a severe severe disappointment disappointment for them
5: uh coaches seemingly have just uh lost their minds this week Uh, Calipari did this week but then also Jerry Stackhouse called his team pretty much a bunch of idiots he said that this is the worst you know he's never had a team where no matter what he says to the team they just keep going out and doing the same dumb shit over and over again and that was his quote and I thought that was a great quote but you can there's something about this week I don't know if there maybe it was the polar vortex shifting and everywhere got cold in the country this week or whatever or people just got tired of COVID or their teams suck or whatever but I thought Stackhouse's quote was great about after they got up. Uh, I think they lost to Arkansas in blowout fashion. And he said this team just keeps going out and doing the same stupid, same dumb shit. Great quote.
3: So the Shark is it's been a rough week for the Vols, but you can clearly say that Rick Barnes is the best coach in Tennessee. A lot of people were excited about Penny, a lot of people excited about Stackhouse. Uh, did you have any thoughts on this these Stackhouse words?
1: I saw him. It seems like uh, most of the main media turned against him as well. He blocks Jeff Goodman and Pat Forty on Twitter. Uh, I guess he was getting in the mud with someone that's a Vanderbilt diehard fan that was DMing him and Stackhouse is DMing back. Never a good look. Uh, also, Vanderbilt just sucks too, so I'm not sure what his angle is. He does have experience in the NBA, so maybe calling out players publicly like he did um, his freshman this year was something that would work when he was an assistant with like the Grizzlies or something, but I'm not sure it's the right move when you're dealing with an 18 year old kid that, you know, agreed to go to Vanderbilt over probably other good schools as well. So I don't think it's going to take, the team is no threat whatsoever. Everyone in the sec is pretty good except for them. Um, I got into this argument with not even an argument, but I posed the question to someone on Twitter this past week where you rank, you know, who are your top three conferences uh, between the big twelve big ten and I put the SEC in there. And the only reason I put the SEC in there is just because every one of the teams is pretty good. I mean, from all the way obviously Alabama's been hot this year, but you can take it all the way down to AM with Buzz Williams. So they're they're not that good, but they're pretty good. They can beat you if they have yeah, to they Kentucky States, they're pretty good. Yeah, I'd say they're pretty good. All right. That's it. They might beat Alabama tonight. By the time we wake up tomorrow, Sue, when you will get your eyeball crust cleared out, they might have beaten Alabama already. Um, The only team that sucks within that conference is Vanderbilt.
3: It's so weird, too. I mean, they are terrible. They're awful. They're awful at football, too. Just an awful program, really. Ever since James Franklin and Kevin Stallings left Nashville, those two programs have been awful. And so you think about Stallings, who was terrible at Pitt, um, just a bum. But people forget that Vanderbilt was typically hovering
1: around who? Stalling's cheated. You got it. Kevin Stalins cheated at Pitt and was still yeah. terrible. You got <laughs> yeah, to show cause yeah. I mean,
3: you talk you talk about Jeremy Pruitt at Tennessee. Like,
1: that's Tennessee. Yeah, that's Tennessee. No, but it was worse.
3: Pitt was yeah. worse. They were, they were God awful. But I mean, the the point that I'm making is ever since Stallings left Vanderbilt, people forget that Vandy was a player with guys like Jeff Jenkins. I think, uh, Ogles V their, their big man, they were hovering around the three, four line almost every year for the tournament. And Vanderbilt used to have a really good, a, a really good basketball team. That was a place where the Kentuckys, the LSUs, when they were at the top of the league, Tennessee's like they would they would lose those games. I remember the Grant Williams team the first year that you guys were ranked number 1 overall. It was a dogfight in Nashville. Um I think that was a Bryce Drew team, but Vanderbilt I, I and yeah, Stackhouse, what are you doing getting in, involved with fans? That's the weirdest thing. The th- that whole scenario was weird. Number 1 because I didn't know that there were v- diehard Vanderbilt basketball fans. I guess If you're going to be a diehard fan, do it for the football team. I don't know. I didn't think that they were diehard Vanderbilt basketball fans, but a very, very odd look for Stackhouse. Um, All right. So let's stay in the SEC, though. Bama. Those Bama boys. Let's get your thoughts on the number nine-ranked Crimson Tide there, Taylor. They've had a fantastic season. Undefeated right now in conference play. Nate Oates. Uh, Shark has had some choice words about Nate Oates, but to his credit, he apologized and, and kind of retracted them last week. But Taylor, any thoughts on the Crimson Tide right now and where they're sitting here in late January?
5: Well, I, you know, the big thing about them in terms of uh, their play this last week is they set the SEC record for three pointers in two consecutive games or tied it, you know, in two consecutive. They had 23 three pointers. And I mean, that's a ton in college basketball across 40 minutes. Um the interesting thing about their team in terms of that stat is they they are barely inside the top 80 for three point percentage uh for the year but they have really you know obviously shot a lot of volume uh in in making all of these three pointers that they're making they got kind of like I don't know one of the sneaky better ball clubs in the country you you're talking about like Shark just said uh now SEC you know, one of the better conferences in the country. Obviously, they're sitting undefeated, and they've won. What did he just say? Sue? Ten in a row? Nine in a row? Ten in a row? I I don't nine know. Nine in a row. Nine in a row. They won. Like. They yeah. won nine. In I a just row, know they're
3: though. undefeated in the SEC.
5: Yeah, they won nine in a row now. Their highest ranking since like nineteen ninety is it nineteen ninety four.
3: No, I think they were top ten. In oh 2007 no,
5: they, they or yeah, right. They did have one year in there as well. So, uh, I guess the big, big thing, and Shark just kind of alluded to it, that I wanted to ask is, you know, we're seeing a little bit of a, a revolving door of, of top teams in the SEC. You know, Tennessee looked great. Now they've kind of fallen back. Alabama's now taking that spot. Is Alabama a team that's going to win the SEC? Are they? Do you think they're better than Tennessee at this point, or? Is, uh, is Tennessee just having a kind of a small lapse here lately?
1: I think Tennessee struggle. Obviously, ten- Alabama's in the driver's seat right now, having not lost. And Tennessee's got three losses in the SEC. So it's going to take a collapse at this point. Um, but if they were to match, and this is if, even if we get SEC tournament games, but I think in all three of Tennessee's conference losses, Jaden Springer either left the game early or did not play. He's clearly the key to our offense. Otherwise, the off, I say our Tennessee's offense. Otherwise, it becomes people looking around, running confused sets, and chucking bad shots at the end and not getting enough shots off, not getting enough possessions. Jaden Springer, to his credit, is some type of glue within the offense. He's a five-star freshman uh, for those of you that don't know who he is. We've won pretty much every single game that he's played. Uh, I think he's a massive difference maker. Alabama, they get up and down. They they play like an NBA team, like we discussed last week, but they also defend pretty well, too. I think they're top 20 in Ken Palm on both sides of it, so they're legitimate. Uh, I think as we go forward with respect to the SEC, really the only two teams, I, I, Alabama, outside of a collapse, is the one to beat. I, I, I don't see anyone else. Missouri is 4-2 and two right behind them, but... Let's let's be real. Kwanzaa Martin's going to get that team playing back towards the middle as he always does. Uh, So Tennessee, if they win out, Alabama, if they drop a few here, uh, I don't think Tennessee. Actually, uh, I'm not sure if Tennessee and Alabama are supposed to play again later on this year, but that would obviously be a huge one. Uh, And Tennessee's got to take care of business with Mississippi State, which is going on as we record this. Uh, And so far they're winning. So that's good.
3: This is all just found money. If I'm a Crimson Tide fan this whole basketball year, NBA and college. Obviously you have a fucking wagon with the college football team. They're going to win a title almost if, at least once every two years. But then now you have a top 10 college basketball team. You have Colin Sexton, who's having an all-star type of year in the NBA. It's a great time right now to be a Tide fan. And on the flip side, if you're an Auburn guy, not too much to write about. So Alabama right now, they are, are. I mean, if you're an Alabama fan, you're probably two-stepping. You're singing Dixieland delight. Spent my dollar, parked in a holler, on beer. That's what I did.
5: Uh, uh, I did want to yeah. ask Shark a question since we're talking about, uh, you know, kind of under the radar teams. I, I I can't remember. Is Houston still? Are they st- still one of your boys or yeah, one of your teams this year? Okay. Yeah. Yep. Okay, I just wanted.
1: I couldn't remember. I just wanted to double check. Where, are we, the, where Houston, are we on the question? lists
5: of your. Who are your teams this year?
1: I'm glad you asked. I had a tweet about it over the weekend. So I announced early on in the year that Houston and Creighton were going to be my uh, my Oregon seat halls from last year. I watched one half of Creighton immediately kicked them off the list. It's never been done before, and they've been removed from the list since early December. And my second position, my second poll position has been vacant up until this past Saturday when it was replaced by Ohio State. So it's Ohio State and Houston for me right now. So where,
3: how many teams are we all allowed to have? Because we were texting over the weekend and I kind of ran with it. I made a little bit of a joke about it, but how many teams, how many boys can you have in your stable? Like what's the, what's the limit?
1: Well, I, it's separate questions because you have to, what I like to do is identify teams that are not preseason top five or current top five teams or anything in that category that are Middling teams are going to be anywhere from three to six seeds that can potentially win the title. So I think that's a good way of phrasing it. A three to a six seed in the tournament that you're projecting to win the national championship.
3: How many of those can we have in our pocket then? I'm going to defer to you. Two. Two. All right. So can we go on record then? Right now, if we so your guys are who Creighton or not Creighton, sorry. Well, and this is the other
1: thing. So it's like you know, Houston. I've been pretty consistent about them since way back before the season even started. Here, you have the luxury of you know seeing things unfold, and you're going to be able to plop one in there. A little bit tacky, but I'll allow it.
3: Well, look, I mean, I, I don't know necessarily know if they have to win a title because I I'm big on Boise State. I don't think they're going to win a oh. title. You know, I was, was going to give you a hard state.
1: time, but if you're going to make one of your teams Boise state that you're going to be trumpeting, then I'm, I'm fine with that. Good for you. I've been, I've been saying Kings of Leon hey, rice the past couple. Of weeks. I just want to
5: say that I've been with you on Boise state for a number of weeks here as well. One of the teams that I also, I'm going to have as my boys is Arkansas, which I've also been on for a number of weeks. Haven't been, they, they had a bad loss to Alabama earlier this year, but I'm going to keep riding the Arkansas train. All you right, know, so it pains Ar- me to say Boise state too, by the way, I just want to throw that out there. It's my sister's alma mater. And I've always been a Boise state hey, But I've seen the light.
1: I watch Yellowstone. That's close enough to Boise. So I respect your opinion. Yeah, only only about like 800,000 miles. Yeah, pretty close. That's a lost
3: territory. I got to tell you, that's just a a territory that not many people are going to be paying attention to. Um, All right, let's go ahead and get to our interview with Zach Noble right now. Uh, before we do that, we want to remind you that we're brought to you by Dash Radio's Nothing But Net channel and, of course, the Barnburner Podcast Network. Go subscribe. Without any further ado, here's Zach Noble. All right, we now want to welcome Zach Noble, host of The Noble Roost Show and Four Seasons Podcast on Ball is Life. And right here on Dash Radio, Zach, thank you again for jumping on. Right off the bat, this has already been a wild year in the NBA, uh, as you can imagine, and you can attest to how's it been covering the the league thus far? How has it differed from years prior?
2: Honestly, it hasn't been that much different overall other than um, I probably would be in the arena. now I've finally be able to get media cover passes and be able to get inside the game. So I was really looking forward to that this year, but still might happen for me, but just, I don't know. There's no real, real need. I've, Talk to the guys that are in the arena, and they've said it hasn't been nearly as enjoyable, and they'd rather just be at home on Zoom calls, anyways. Uh, but the product on the court, I, seeing a lot more blowouts and that's what the numbers are saying as well. So that's never fun. Uh, but for the most part, I don't think it's really impacting uh, too many players on a nightly basis. I just think, in the big scheme of things, uh, the the scores of the games. I mean are off you know there's some factor out there like the fans aren't motivating any comebacks I think that might have something to do with it or uh, just players resting on a nightly basis with COVID so um, yeah it's kind of like the Hunger Games in that aspect you don't know who's playing and uh, when and who's who's out and for how long so a lot of luck and uh, adversity in regards to that stuff
5: Yeah, we've noted here on our show a couple of times in college basketball, it seems to apply the NBA too that when teams have those back to backs against each other in the same arena, one of them tends to get blown out the first game and then the second game tends to be a a close game or even the other team coming back i think the warriors were a notable team earlier this year that lost by like 40 the first game and then steph came back and oh i think it was against the blazers when steph had like 60 points or whatever and then he came back the second game and it was a completely different game so i've seen you describe yourself i believe as an nba psychopath is that correct Hey, I love it. Cause I mean, Hey, you have to be a somewhat of a basketball psychopath to do uh, the, the podcasting. And I think we could probably consider ourselves to be college basketball psychopaths in a way too. So I wanted to ask you is how much, how much college basketball do you watch compared to NBA? Considering you're probably watching every NBA possible, every NBA game possible. Yeah.
2: So I honestly, uh, bottom of my heart, I can say I watch about 90% of all NBA games, um, all NBA teams, whether um, I'm catching them on the one they're happening live. um, You normally have about two to four games going at once. I try not to go more than three because then it's just, it's hard to pay attention and you're not really consuming what you should be at that point so I like to keep it to two or three and then rewatch them the next day and whatnot but uh with college basketball um honestly it's less this this year than last year I know I normally pick up the second half of the year uh with college basketball and normally it's just prospects for me uh so I mean really I mean my two teams are the Kansas Jayhawks that's where I graduated from and then Minnesota Gophers which this team is surprisingly awesome for uh, Minnesota standards and KU is on the lower end of things which I thought they were going to be much better than they are so far which is kind of disappointing but I do think they'll finish strong as they normally do so outside of those two teams I honestly I don't know I'll probably catch two three games a week of college basketball um, if, if that really right now, and then try to catch up with prospects as the second half of the year goes.
3: I'll tell you what, two to three games per week is actually pretty damn good, especially during the NFL season and NBA season I'm an NFL as well. guy too, Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, it's pretty evident you're Just a sports a degenerate. guy. <laughs> There's not, I mean. We're all locked in our homes, man. I'm just glad we got sports back.
5: Hold on, Subi. I'm going to interrupt you here for a second since we did. Are you – so you're from Minnesota, but you live in KC. So are you a Vikings fan?
2: No, so I'm from Minnesota. I lived in KC for three and a half years and then in college a little bit. So I'm back in Minnesota. uh, But my wife's family, they're all diehard Chiefs fans. So it's kind of a team I've adopted. I'd like to say um, I'm a Chiefs fan, but I I bleed purple, unfortunately. So I, I get the heartbreak. Well, so why I'm,
5: why I'm asking is because I'm a Packers fan. I didn't want to start off on, a, on the wrong foot yeah, with you. Yeah, that here, is but, wrong, you
2: know? man. <laughs> <laughs> we, won't, we won't get into that. I've been kind of nice to my Packer friends unless they bring it up, and it's wild because the majority of my friends are Packer fans, unfortunately.
3: Well, I mean, the Chiefs are a pretty damn good team to adopt. It's like if you adopted LeBron James. I mean, right, these exactly. guys are these guys are pretty exactly. incredible. So, Zach, I got to tell you, man, I'm pretty fascinated with your background. You got an undergrad there from Kansas, got an MBA from Harvard Business School, I believe. Yep. Uh, is this was this the plan? Was podcasting covering the NBA the plan?
2: Uh, being in sports and the NBA in some capacity was always the goal and the plan. I guess you can say uh from like sixth grade and my dream and goal was to be an agent um and football or basketball i mean i was pretty open because i know it's just tough to break in wherever my connections lie and whatever players i could um bring on and i was close in the nfl world i represented a couple guys that were on draft boards i mean right in my later years of college and then right after and they fucking got hurt in their pro day and shit didn't work out but Um, sent some guys overseas for basketball made a little money there and then I realized um, I didn't have the I mean I have great connections but I mean wasn't able to utilize them and um, play those all the way through so I didn't really make it in that industry and I wanted to stay in sports and try to figure out a different way in and then I thought of podcasting and I'm like, this is the best chance I got and the best avenue versus going into like ticket sales for an NBA team or something like that. And um, I wanted to make a little more money than that. (laughs) So I have a full-time sales job on the side and um, tried to do as much with this as I could right from the gate. Um, I'm an entrepreneurial mindset at heart. I've always been that way. I've always um, done that with business. And I kind of just treated this like a business from the beginning. Like I wanted to have a lot of fun with it, but also take it as far as I can and, um, tried to push that. I mean, with advertisements and all that, um, and constantly grew and got lucky along the way with some breaks. And, um, I've done pretty well. I'm pretty happy with the growth, but, um, four seasons, my other podcast has kind of come to a halt there. And I'm glad I've joined, uh, a new partner here and still with Ball is Life and we're doing some big things coming up with Ball's Life and I think uh, I'm trending the right way I, I'm pretty happy with where I'm at and uh, the, what the future holds but I think this has given me uh, the best opportunity to get as close to full-time as possible that's always been the goal is to get into the NBA world in some full-time capacity I guess you can say.
5: So, yeah, you know, it's funny that you went the ticket sale or didn't want to go the ticket sales route because both Taryn and I kind of, at least for a half a day, had that consideration. But uh, and it's, you know, I guess we're all trying to stay in the sports world as as much as possible. And you're clearly doing a great job of that. Uh, One of the things that I wanted to ask as it relates to, you know, how you evaluate players and how you evaluate future NBA players. And that is so what do you look for in college basketball players before they take the step to the pros that kind of gives you an indication that they're going to be good pros or if they're going to be good fits with certain teams. Is there anything in particular that you look for with these guys?
2: Yeah, it's always an interesting question. I always, I mean, I've asked myself that constantly over the years as I mean, you're reassessing where you're at at like halfway through the year with these prospects or even 10 to 15 games in um, with this year's class. And I keep coming back to, mentality and personality being so important. Um, like the first three picks of this year's draft, I thought that's where they lacked uh, big time. I didn't think they had their heads on straight personally, um, the, the, all three of them. Um, and it was kind of a crapshoot with them. I thought they were all incredibly talented and they had um, the physical assets that you'd be looking for in a great um, top talent. But, it's the mental side of things and um, the dog mentality and just having that um, side of things. And that's that's where I, I'm figuring out that I, I just still don't think I necessarily believe in Anthony Edwards, especially um, in that capacity. And that's where I've missed on a lot of players. It's um, taking that consideration um, all the way um, up front when I'm... Uh, Trying to analyze these players and critique them, but I'm too focused on what their skill set is and um, what they're doing in the now. Uh, but I do think uh, one thing that goes under the radar is what they, what players do do in the now uh, versus what their physical tools are and what their future is. I think we don't. I think we take for granted what college players are currently as we speak and talk about them at that moment.
3: So who are the top three? Again, remind me, Anthony Edwards. We had LaMelo at two. Who was number three?
2: James Wiseman.
3: James Wiseman. Thank you. That's right. I mean, I just, it's, it's crazy. You think about those top three guys. I don't know if in any other draft, we've seen such a small sample size of their game, like just your average viewer, right? Because Mello wasn't even playing college. Anthony Edwards didn't have a ton of nationally televised games uh, in, in Georgia. And then James Wiseman, I think, only played about three or four games at Memphis. So, I mean, that's a, that's a very good point that you bring up about what's going on between the ears as well. Uh, so, Zach, I also wanted to ask you, you, you brought up a little bit about player representation. Uh, I'm curious to know who some of those players were, if you're able to, uh, divulge us in, in terms of the NBA and also the NFL. And then we actually also had Matt Babcock on the program a couple months ago. He's a great guy, Arizona guy. So we're Arizona guys. Um, but yeah, Matt, Matt was a wonderful, wonderful, uh, guest. So we're curious how, you know, some of the ins and outs of player representation and who some of those players were.
2: Yeah, unfortunately, like it's no way to brag or take home about. But there was like an offensive lineman from Kansas State, and that um, was closer close to guys like um, George's Niang was one I was really close with. Um, that I had a chance to get him, and that, that would have helped things. I mean, that would have got me my foot on the right path. But um, other guys were like D two Minnesota guys, um, and then uh, a couple of golfers. Um, so stuff like that, Kansas, Kansas Jayhawks. I was close to a couple of the cornerbacks that made it for a few years that are still in the league. And, um, but I'd never, I never landed, um, a guy that, um, really got drafted and made it too far. So, uh, basketball wise, it was literally just, um, D2 players and guys that, uh, I mean, they, they had big years and whatnot, but nobody, that uh, no real household names.
5: So, when you're, you know, if you are representing a player, whether it's in the past or potentially here in the future, and you look at the NBA, you know, so much about, um, where you're drafted is almost as important or more important even than what your skill set is, is your the ability of the team to develop and you know, do they have an open spot at the position? Do you look at certain teams, you know, like the Spurs are always used as an example of like one of the best developmental teams in the NBA? Are there some other teams or other particular coaches, maybe not even head coaches in the NBA that you look at as kind of the best developers of talent?
2: You're just talking from an NBA standpoint.
5: Yeah, or college. I mean, if you know some, if you, if you have some college uh, coaches in mind that are really good at developing not just five star guys, but three star guys into uh, co- or pro
2: players. I mean, Kentucky, obviously, if you go to Kentucky and you draft somebody from there, you really can't go wrong normally. That's kind of been the trend lately. But um, honestly, uh, I mean, mid market is really becoming a bigger deal. I, I really like Mark Few. I think I, He's getting better and better over the years. Uh, but from an NBA perspective, I mean, I say this with 100% like certainty, and I'll stand by this opinion until they prove me wrong. And I don't think they, they haven't proven me wrong yet. There's four coaches in the NBA that I truly believe that can literally transform just about any player, uh, even if he's had two or three bad years. Um, if he's in the middle stage of his career if he ends up on one of these NBA sidelines I think one of these coaches can just turn him into a product and a worthwhile NBA player and that's Brad Stevens, Nick Nurse, Eric Spolster, and Quinn Snyder. I truly think those four guys if you end up on your team on their team you got a freaking chance to survive in the league. Um, obviously the rest comes with getting the minutes and giving that opportunity but if you go under them and they give you minutes, you're probably going to turn out all right.
3: Those are some big names for sure in the NBA world. And speaking of big names, you've definitely interviewed some heavy hitters. I think recently you had Taylor Rooks on your podcast. I think you had Danny Manning most recently. We have some Wake Forest listeners as well. So okay. out of all of these, uh, these guests that you've had, who are, are some of the favorites that you've had? Or what are some of the more memorable interviews that you guys have conducted?
2: Yeah. So I always go back to, I mean, our first player interview or my first uh, with ball is life was Fred Van Vliet. Um, he kind of got us started off on the right track where um, after him, like every player that came on our show, their stock just went up. It was a pretty cool trend and there was a lot of just luck. Uh, but I think that's
3: a direct uh, correlation with coming on your program.
2: Goddamn right. And I, that's what I would sell to every agent I was talking to. I'm like, your player comes on our show they're a freaking all-star in the next year just I mean Vucevic it happened too, and there's a couple others but uh, and then the guys got paid and whatnot I mean Myers Leonard got his big deal right after that and um, all that jazz I've, I've gotten pretty lucky from a player standpoint of having success but uh, my favorite interviews I mean that's always so hard I've had a 180 plus guests now uh, the guys you named I'll I, There's very few I I haven't enjoyed. There's probably like 15 to 20 out of that 180 that I didn't like whatsoever. They're just lame and didn't really, couldn't get much out of. Uh, But the Morris twins always are a staple for me just because they talk so much shit. I mean, they went at each other. Uh, We played games with them and uh, they're just just fun guys laid back. But uh, Mark Cuban would be the biggest name we've had. but uh, yeah, just, I mean, random players like Vucevic was a lot of fun. Uh, he had a, a tremendous story. Tabo Cephalosha, um during the World Cup, I had him on and uh, huge soccer guys. So just talking random stuff with guys and uh, had our first football player on for the Denver Broncos, Dalton Reisner, and um, talked about being a lineman and just trying to dance and fit in and all that jazz and playing with no quarterback so I mean it was good times
5: yeah yeah Mark Cuban not a not a small name drop there I would say you know pretty decent guest right so uh speaking of favorites going back to like your college days was there a particular like favorite moment you had or favorite player that you had uh you know at Kansas in particular or Minnesota either or you know growing up
2: yeah it wasn't necessarily my college days Uh, I graduated in 13 from KU but Uh, Frank Mason, uh, Devontae Graham, they were, I mean, they're my favorite Kansas point guards. Um, Shron Collins, I mean, I love Shron, but I mean, I'm a Frank and Devontae guy a little more. Uh, Shron was my days, though. Shron and Cole Aldrich were my college glory days. And I mean, Shron going off. I mean, we had some battles with Iowa State uh, during those times. Uh, Let's see. Just, I mean... Games that got us to storm, we made one championship run. We lost to Anthony Davis when I was in college. Um, that was a heartbreak, but that, that tournament was the um, most fun run because every, every game we won in the tournament, we stormed uh, Lawrence, Kansas, downtown, and uh, it's called Mass Street. We're on buildings chugging bottles with police officers, and it just lets havoc run wild. is awesome.
3: I mean, I'll tell you what, I thought Thomas Robinson when he got drafted, I think by the Kings or the Blazers, one of those two, I was like pumped because I love Thomas Robinson. There's nothing, there's a guy, there's not a guy that I love more than like slightly undersized, but who's such a bulldog. He held his own against Anthony Davis. I thought in that title game who for my money, AD is the greatest college basketball player ever. Uh, There was nothing he could do, won a title as a freshman. So no shame in losing that game, by the way.
2: No, I mean, he was a monster. I don't know, it was like seven blocks or something in that game. And yeah, he's got an argument for the greatest ever, which is just incredible. But Thomas Robinson, to this day, I still think he could play in the NBA. I truly believe he could be a spark plug off the bench. And uh, he was one of those products that just got screwed over in Sacramento. I mean, if you went to Sacramento during that time period, Ben McLemore is another one. I mean, if you would have went, one of those four coaches I would have mentioned, I mentioned they would have been freaking rock stars, but they ended up in the butthole of the NBA in Sacramento.
5: <laughs> yeah. I mean, the Kings pretty much had to trade him to keep the lights on. Right. <laughs> yeah, right, got right, it. right. We have a good buddy. Who's a, who's a monster Kings fan, which I didn't know those people oh, okay. actually exist, but that's what he kept saying. We had to trade T Rob to keep the lights on. You know? That's, well, his, that's fa- great.
3: His favorite game to play is when he sees productivity from players out of no, not necessarily out of nowhere, but like a Hassan Whiteside a couple years ago, he'll just mutter under his breath. He'll say, "That's a former king." Uh, Rajon Rondo playing an integral role for the Lakers' title. Former king, like that's that's just the game he loves to play. Um, But so I got to pivot here, Zach, and this is going to get raw. It's going to get emotional potentially, and it's going to be mean on my behalf, but I got to do it. I want to zero in on your Minnesota fandom because there is no denying. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, following you, man, I love following you because there's not a lot of Minnesota sports fandom on Twitter, but you're in the weeds with the twins, with the wild, with obviously the wolves and of course the Vikings. So, uh, there's been no shortage of heartbreak. I'm sorry. But what makes it even more unique, more than any other city, in my estimation, check me if I'm wrong, is the amount of legendary players that have played in the the Twin Cities. You think of Joe Maurer, Kevin Garnett, Adrian Peterson, Kirby Puckett, Carl Anthony Towns, Randy Moss. And now, I mean, Justin Jefferson's unbelievable. I'm sorry, man. I told and you it was going to get wrong. all
2: fucking leave.
3: <laughs> is there a sport? Is there a particular team, and what year was that team where you're like, this is the biggest regret?
2: Uh, like, just regret of losing a player or the regret of bullshit happening to Minnesota sports <laughs> and still to this day?
3: Probably the latter in the sense that, like, how the hell did this team with this player
2: not get to a finals or oh. win a title? I mean... KG is my favorite player of all time. I went to every single playoff game he was here. I was really lucky to be able to do that, bend over 200 plus Timberwolves games. But um, he never had a team that besides the 03 04 team, we lost the Lakers, and that team really never had a shot. So my expectations, I think, are pretty reasonable for um, a biased local sports fan, you can say. But um, that's probably because my expectations are always pretty low. And I uh, just let them. Let them surprise me and try to bring any sort of happiness I can if I'm going to stick around and be miserable all these years. So uh, the teams, I mean, the Vikings have been the closest in my lifetime and the Vikings are the teams that disappoint me more than ever because I always believe in our defense. I always believe defense can win championships in the NFL, but we've never had a quarterback outside of Brett Favre. So Honestly, believe what you want. I mean, Randall Cunningham, Dante Culpepper. We had some runs, but did we were we really the best? Did we really deserve it? Exactly. I mean, we we had fun teams and really good teams, but that Brett Favre. There's not a year in Minnesota sports that will ever get me. That's why I fucking hate the New Orleans Saints to this day. And so happy anytime they they suffer from misery, but. Uh, I was in a Buffalo Wild Wings in Lawrence, Kansas, and just met some of my first friends from Minnesota. And I got in a fight with the manager, this nerdy little fucking midget uh, manager from Buffalo Wild Wings, because he's not a Saints fan, but he decides to be a Saints fan and just chirps me the whole game. And my blood pressure is just rising and I'm on the edge. And I get emotional with the Vikings more than anything because I I believe in them more than any of my teams. Uh, we were right there, and he just kept getting closer and closer and just cocking off. I threw it when Brett Favre threw that pick, I threw a chair across the entire Buffalo Wild Wings and just started wreaking havoc. And this guy's in my face. I shoved the Buffalo Wild Wings manager, it was a low point in my life, but this dude deserved every ounce of it.
5: You know, it's great that you and I have such similar Brett Favre stories, you know, that's where we can at least align ourselves. Like well, I mean, last pick your last throw he threw for the Packers was a pick right. in the in, against fair. the Giants in the yeah. So uh, I still yeah.
2: think Favre's better than Rodgers to this day. By He'll, the way, uh,
5: I don't know, yo, know, you know, I mean, far to me, Favre is probably still my favorite athlete of all time. But I Rogers That's is good. on just a completely different level. they you know Respect. they're e- equally fun to watch. I think they just for different reasons. But uh, yeah, you know, I uh, I. I I have to say that uh, a lot of a lot of your worst fav- uh moments in sports are probably some of my non favorite teams' favorite you know moments in sports. I got to tell you though. So Subi is a, or excuse me, Taren is a, um, is a Patriots guy, so he's a Tom Brady fan. So, uh, I was terrified personally when Brett Favre was playing in that uh, NFC title game that Brett was going to go win a Super Bowl with the Vikings. I was like, I, petri- I was petrified that that was going to happen. So I know Subi, didn't have, or Taryn didn't quite have the same feeling about Tom this last week against the, uh, against the Packers, but I, I was probably throwing a chair across a Buffalo Wild Wings with joy at the same time that you were throwing it across in pain there with Brett.
2: Re- reasonable. <laughs> um,
3: so the other week, you had a tweet go super viral. I mean, your your tweets two numbers, then, but this one blew up, and I think you know which one I'm talking about. Uh, I I don't know where the coach was located or what league he's in, but he's basically saying like, "What What did he say? You fucking dribble too much. You dribble too much." And he said, "This is going to be Steve Nash in about three weeks with Kyrie, Harden, and Durant." How was it dealing with the Twitter fame? Did you get any sort of DMs, interactions, anything like that? Because that was a gold tweet.
2: I had a, a couple, uh, like big time NFL players and like big cat sharing it. That's when it really popped off. And, um, uh, he's one of my, I mean, best guys that we follow each other. So that's pretty cool. So when anytime I can get him to help share my love, things pop off, but, um, yeah, it was, it was fun just, uh, seeing everybody's reaction and more so seeing, um, what type of people I was making laugh. So it's always good to make people laugh a little bit, but that video was just so fitting. And I, got my caption hit home. So I got lucky.
3: Oh, you nailed it. You nailed it. Uh, you know, pivoting to a little bit more somber news. Obviously we are now a year removed from the tragic passing of Kobe Bryant covering the NBA. Like you did. What were your thoughts? Just generally speaking, on Kobe, how he touched you. You actually mentioned the 0304 4 Wolf season. I'll never forget one of the mo- one of Kobe's most underrated plays, in my opinion, driving baseline, doing a reverse jam in the Target Center. Kevin Harlan with an incredible call. I think he said he sucked the gravity out of the building.
4: Nice of what a play.
2: Give me your thoughts on Kobe. Man, the easiest way for me to put Kobe into perspective is, I mean, he was my childhood. Um, That was 90s basketball, early 2000s. That was my childhood and growing up. That was my favorite basketball, honestly, early 90s, early 2000s. Um, I just like the physicality of it, um, the grid, the mentality of those players. Um, Kobe's one of my three, top three, top five favorite players of all time. Um, he's the reason why I fell in love with the NBA outside of KG and MJ. It's literally those three players. And to this day, I mean, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing and um, be so obsessed with this thing in life. And uh, I don't know, just a lot of inspiration for life I get from him on a daily basis. I mean, I constantly go back and listen to interviews and quotes. And, I mean, he helps fuels me through a lot of days and tough times. And, uh, yeah, just, I mean it's crazy how much happiness one player, one person I've never met um, in my life and that he can give me. And uh, yeah, I mean, he meant a lot to me. Definitely. It was, it was crazy. His reach
3: cannot be underestimated or understated. You're absolutely right. And then something even more raw yesterday, uh, second Smith passing away, you're in the same realm as him, right? I mean, you are a, podcaster he is a famed writer MBA TV analyst I know this is very fresh for you but did you I mean did you want to say a few words about uh, your colleague Sek- Seku Smith
2: yeah I mean uh, a lot of these guys are just people I interview um, and just it's a one-off type of thing they come on my show and they leave but Seku actually, He's one of few people that, I mean, I feel like a friend. Um, I'm not going to say we're like best friends by any means, but he's just, I mean, you just saw the outpouring of love for him today, and uh, it's just, dude's 49 years old with a family. I'm an emotional person in general. Um, It's almost tough to come on this show, but uh, he's just a guy I had conversations with outside of just being on our show, and he'd go hours with me on, on the show in general. Um, and it's just always made time for any and everybody. And it was kind of like a guy looked up to and a mentor and always had a smile on his face regardless and just made the best of every situation and anything you're talking about, always had fun with it. And I mean, lives life exactly how I'd want to live life. And I guess a lot of happy and successful people. So Um, it's, it's just crazy and surreal. Um, but, uh, God bless his family and gonna miss that guy a lot.
3: Yep. Very well said there, Zach. Uh, and we, we really appreciate the time, man. Uh, jump on anytime in the future. You have an open invite to the program. This was, this was fantastic. Hey, let me ask you this real quick. Also, I got to sneak this in. You ever seen Shits Creek? Love it. Has anyone ever told you you look like Daniel Levy?
2: Fucking Right. (laughs)
3: You're not the first person to tell you this.
2: You're you're not, but uh I don't know. I'll take he's a beautiful man. I'll take it, man. I'll take it. I just don't I can refrain from the personality, but his look's not bad. Yeah.
3: <laughs> well, hey Zach, we appreciate you hopping on again. Um, best of luck with the program moving forward, okay.
2: Guys, it was a blast. Thanks for having me. And uh anytime you need an NBA guy or want to dive into prospects as we get closer. I'm always down. Fun show and keep up the good work.
3: All right. We want to thank Zach again for jumping onto the program. A uh, great interview. Let's go ahead and finish it up now with some segments. Please, sir. I want some more.
4: Please, sir. I want some more. What? 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 I want some more.
3: Uh, to recap last week. Taylor had Boise state minus 14 against Fresno state won. That had Colorado minus 12 against Washington did not win that Tulsa plus 12 against Houston did not win that the shark on the other hand had Providence plus 10 against Creighton hit Georgia tech pick them against Clemson hit Arkansas minus five against Auburn did not. So that leaves us right now uh, with the shark at nine and Taylor at seven Taylor, please, sir. I want some more. I'm going to start with you. I made it a, a, a cogent decision, a conscious decision to for to have you kick it off. Go ahead.
5: I was kind of hoping we would just kind of run with the bit of me going second on this now, and just letting me complain after that. But uh, you know, I'm going. To, I'm from what Shark just said. I think I'm going to be taking one of his picks, and I'm not upset about that. One of my picks is Ohio State minus seven over Penn State here tomorrow night. Uh, hopefully that makes him think a little bit uh, about what he has to do here. But uh, one of the reasons I'm going with Ohio, I do think fairly highly of them, uh, especially after their big win over Wisconsin last, last week. Uh, they lost to Purdue previous to that, but I think pretty highly of Ohio State, and uh, it's more so um, that things even out. And what I mean by that is Penn State has won two in a row, And I just don't see them performing that well three games in a row. So I'm going Ohio State minus seven. Uh, My next one is Drake, undefeated Drake. And I hope that we can splice in on a tweet. I guess not splice in the Soldier Boy Drake. meme from years ago but i'm going drake minus three over missouri state missouri state is a sneaky good ball club as well they only have one loss on the year but drake is one of the highest scoring teams in college basketball this year uh they are uh, number one in three point percentage they're number three in field goal percentage uh missouri state is actually pretty high in both of those categories as well but i think drake is uh kind of a wagon this year Uh, so I think they moved to 14 and 0 and I think they moved to 12 and 0 against the spread minus three over the Missouri State Bears my last pick is from the same conference as Boise State and I almost picked Boise State but instead I went with the team that was leading the Mountain West just a week ago and that was and that is Utah State now Utah State has uh, lost two games in a row here and for a team that is pretty good And I'm going to go with one of the same strategies that I've been using uh, all year. Um, I should maybe adjust that strategy, considering the ones I actually pick are the ones that I lose. But it seems to still be uh, working at about a 60 to 65 percent rate. And that is because Utah State lost to UNLV last night. So tomorrow night. I'm going to have Utah State winning by six over UNLV. Utah State is a vastly superior team to, U- to UNLV, so I, I kind of think that they're going to pick it up and win big in that one. So I got Utah State by six, Drake by three, Ohio State by seven.
3: Good picks. That Utah State-UNLV game was wild at the end. I think it's Nick Banks, a freshman for for UNLV, blew a couple uh, dunks that could have sealed the game for the, for the Rebels. They obviously ended up winning, but crazy finish out there in Vegas. Shark, give us some of your picks.
1: Okay. So before I do that, you know, here's the problem with Soupy here. You know, people get on me all the time. They tell me, Shark, you know, you're too mean to Soob. He's such a nice guy. Everybody loves Soob. Why are you so mean to Sub? I don't get it. He's doing you all a disservice in his introduction for this segment because he just doesn't understand. He comes off, he reads off how many we Taylor and I have gotten correct over the year. He says, Shark, you got nine. Taylor's got seven. But he's not telling you how many we've lost because you're not getting the full picture. So, Subi is not giving you the full story. What he didn't tell you is the fact that the Shark, me, is nine and three on weekday games throughout the whole season. Now, nine and three, if you're counting that at home, that's a 75% winning clip. All right. That is unheard of in the gambling world. There is nobody better at picking weekday games one day in advance in college basketball than me. Okay, and so you, you want like, you want
3: full total analytics?
1: You're saying nine as if it's like something that's so you know, hold on. So, in the So what, what are you on
5: weekend games?
1: I'm, I struggle when I'm when I'm projecting out. <laughs> there is Saturday, nobody I'm worse old,
5: in college basketball. I'm yeah. picking weekend. I was games just trying to. to I, was just I was just trying to look. I mean, I mean we could do
1: quick math.
3: Okay, so there you go. Seven and five. Taylor seven and five. You're nine and three. There you go.
1: Well, nine and three on weekday games. I mean that. Well, as it pertains to this segment. You're brushing it off as if like someone's giving you directions somewhere. This is a monumental stat. This is unbelievable. Normally, when you go like 55% in Vegas, you're you're great. You know, you're in the Hall of Fame. I'm 75% on weekday games. This should be. You should be. You know, small size. Me out to size. Small agencies. sample size. Yeah. But anyways, yeah, uh, nine and three. All right. It's not. It's not. You know, six and uh, I can't do the math. Right, now. nine and three. And it's not three and one. All right. It's but It's. This is good.
5: I, I just want to point out in my defense of this, I had to like scramble like on three the first three segments we did of this because we had the same picks. So I just want to throw uh, that out there. That I had to survive. I'm just saying, like, are you kidding
3: me? Weird. I put together a spreadsheet. Yeah, well, I'm putting together yeah. spreadsheets, I'm I'm doing formulas, just, all right, basic sum products, all right? I mean, it's just I ridiculous. Right. Why don't you show some initiative?
1: I don't have it. I mean, it's a gift that I have in here, and you're not marketing it. But, anyways, let's get to my picks this week. All right. Nine and three, 75%. Probably going to hit both of these right here. Let's be honest. I should have swept it last week if Arkansas didn't poop themselves in the first half against Auburn. But here we go. I know there's a few people that like these picks because they get at me on Twitter as they start clicking one after another. I'm rambling. Here we go. First pick Seton Hall versus Creighton. My pick is Seton Hall. I saw a line there. This is off the board for some reason. I don't understand why they took it off the board, but I saw someone tweet earlier today that Seton Hall is getting two points. I'm going to gobble that up. If I, if I can get it, Seton Hall and Creighton played a couple of weeks ago. Creighton was unstoppable. They made like 11 straight shots to begin the game. Uh, Lighting it up, they blew them out. They won by about 40 points. Seton Hall has lost to Creighton in three straight games, but I think this line was very close, and I think Seton Hall is the exact kind of team that gives Creighton fits, despite the fact that they've lost three straight times. The fact that it's close to a pick makes it even better for me. So I'm fired up about Seton Hall. That's pick number one. Pick number two, I'm staying in the Big East. Providence going back to the well. Another rematch game from a few weeks ago. They're playing Marquette. Providence is getting one point at home at the dunk. Give me Providence. I think that's a, that's a lock right there where they're going to go in. Marquette's kind of reeling fresh off a loss to DePaul. I, Wojo, the writing's on the wall for you, pal. I'm going with Ed Cooley. Uh, not quite Cooley month yet, but it's getting there. January, Cooley, March, we're not right there yet. But last pick, I'm going late in the DMV, but I'm not picking Maryland. I'm picking Wisconsin. Last I saw, they're favored by three points. Maryland's a crap team. Even though they've been getting a little hype, they just beat Minnesota. Oh, oh, oh big whoop. I don't care. Wisconsin's going to lock them up defensively. Wisconsin just lost a game against Ohio State this past weekend. I got them on the rebound. Three picks. Creighton, uh, excuse me, Seton Hall, Providence, Wisconsin.
3: Good picks. I mean, I hope the theater goer takes your guys' advice. And I also hope they understand the, the shit that I'm dealing with as it pertains to you, too. You guys want me to build the, the Taj Mahal out of pieces of paper or something, scrapbook material, scrap metal. That's what you need in, in a day, right? I'm trying to
1: build this I mean, we're, out. We're trying to build some We're element- bringing you the resources. We're bringing you the clay. We're bringing you the raw raw materials, all right? Make something of it. I made chicken a
3: la out of raw, disgusting chicken that you gave me last week, two weeks ago. I think that was hey, the refi. Uh,
1: you know what? Don't take, it, don't take it personally. We're both doing this dry January thing without any dairy products as well. We're stressed out. We're, we're kind of like Coach K. We're almost to the end here, all right? Head down. Keep chopping wood. Pavloving first. spice of the loss from I, Chick-fil-A. I,
5: I did want to uh, commend you guys on your dry January and your health kick that you guys are on, by the way. I mean, it feels I great health kick at all
3: so. I know you're not I know I, I don't I, like you're typically always hand in hand having a gripping a beer but uh no I mean I uh, it feels good not drinking it's the food part that's that's the toughest part right now but we got the tiger blood I think it's the tiger blood phase right now of whole 30. anyway let's go ahead and finish it off now this week in feet, Th- we haven't done this in a while twit time uh send it in jerome this This day or two days ago, this week, 33 years ago, uh, the iconic Bill Raftery call, Jerome throwing it down, breaking the glass, Sean Miller with the pass. If you know college basketball, even if you don't know college basketball, you should probably know this clip at this point. uh, But this week in feet, one of the most iconic college basketball plays. And I actually, I didn't know this. I didn't know it was Pitt versus Providence. I knew it was Pitt. Didn't know it was Providence though. Uh, So that was some good theater there.
5: You know, I I don't have you guys ever listened to the whole video of that call? Because Uh, the actual call of the game is just terrible. It just it's like you and I watching basketball on the couch when something happens. It's essentially them going, Oh,
1: oh, oh, whoa.
0: Right, nobody's home.
5: For like 10 seconds, 12 seconds until Raftery finally says, send it in Jerome. So the actual calling of the of that is lo- so much less iconic than we made it out. The, the line is iconic. The call itself is terrible. Well,
3: thankfully, Raftery was there to pick up the pieces. Good God. Um, all right. Let's go ahead and finish it off now then, Taylor, with some hugs. Who you got?
5: So I have a hug for all every Pac-12 fan. Um, and you guys didn't discuss this last week, did you? No, this happened... Larry Scott being fired. That when did that happen?
3: That happened that this was, week after yeah, last week's it. show. Yeah,
5: yeah, excuse me. So I have a hug for all Pac Twelve fans. Um Larry Scott has continually been one of the worst commissioners, I you know, in terms of public relations and uh building a brand in all of college athletics. His TV deal or lack thereof has set the Pac-Twelve back a decade or more. And uh he is being the word is fired. They're not saying it's fired, but he is being fired by the Pac-12, uh, and will his contract will be terminated early. That will be in June of this year. So hopefully uh, we don't have to watch, as Shark just alluded to a little while ago, uh, like 11 p.m. tip times of Pac-12 games for no reason, uh, especially when it's one of the, uh, you know, the, it's always dumb when the flagship programs of the conference are tipping off a basketball game at 11 p.m. Eastern. So uh, hopefully we can get a better uh, deal for the Pac-12 so you don't have to literally pick every third bar in the world to try and get Pac-12 network on. So uh, I I am not a Larry Scott supporter. So hug for Pac-12 fans because this only can go up from here.
3: Good riddance to Larry Scott. And also the reason you haven't heard the shark in a little bit is because he dipped out on us. He's got to go see Yellowstone. So uh, shark, no hugs for him. My hug is going to be internal hug for the barn chief. He got married down in Florida. Good for him. Very happy for him. And also barn burner bro. He moved from, uh, I believe his native Memphis to Colorado. So big life changes there for barn burner bro and barn burner chief. Sincere hugs for the both of you. Thank you again for listening. Uh, we'll catch you next time here on Theater and College Hoops.